Hello and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host Lizzie and today is episode 47. It might seem like true crime is a new phenomenon. We have books, documentaries, movies, podcasts, and other media that explore horrible murders and criminals. But contrary to popular belief, true crime has long been a source of fascination for people, and the 1920s are known for courtroom dramas that caused unparalleled levels of media hysteria, such as the 1924 sentencing hearing of Leopold and Loeb, or the 1927 trial of the double indemnity slayers. The third of the most significant Jazz Age murder cases has mostly fallen into obscurity, and that will be the case we're covering today. Today's episode is the Hall Mills murder, and when it happened, it was the biggest tabloid phenomenon of them all. It all began on the morning of September 16, 1922, when 33-year-old Raymond Schneider and his 15-year-old girlfriend, Pearl Bomber, were traveling along a little dirt road in New Brunswick, New Jersey, that couples used as a lover's lane. Now, they suddenly noticed a couple lying on their backs beneath a crabapple tree. The man was in a dark gray suit, a crisp white shirt, and a white tie. He appeared to be protecting his face from the sun by placing his Panama hat over his face. The woman was lying by his side, her legs crossed, her left hand resting on his knee, and her head resting on the outstretched right arm of her partner. She was wearing a blue dress with polka dots, with the hem pulled as low as the material would allow. She had a brown wool scarf around her throat. But both were dead. Schneider and Balmer could tell from only a quick glance. The scarf wrapped around the woman's throat was soaked with blood. Her throat had been violently cut, and the wound was already crawling with maggots, according to accounts. And there were many accounts. Because of a misunderstanding over jurisdiction, the remains were left in an unsecured location for hours. The heads of both victims had been shot, but the man's calling card was at his feet. His name was Edward Wheeler Hall, a New Brunswick Episcopalian clergyman whose wife had connections to some of the most important families in the area. Interestingly, torn love letters were scattered among the victims. But the woman was Eleanor Reinhardt Mills. But the woman was 34-year-old Eleanor Reinhardt Mills, a congregant, and his mistress. According to Schechter for the Yale Review, churchgoers had been speculating about the minister's alarmingly close friendship with his attractive choir singer for years. Parishioners at St. John's Episcopal Church discussed their priest, Edward Hall, in whispers in 1922. They reported that Eleanor Mills, formerly Reinhardt, a member of his congregation, received frequent home visits from him. The rumors in New Brunswick were only made worse by the fact that Hall and Mills were both married. Vole reported for Crime Beat that Eleanor Mills went to a sweet shop on September 14th. At around 7 o'clock, she makes a call to Edward Hall from a nearby payphone. 
The exchange took place when the reverend's maid walked by. She quotes Hall as having said, Yes, 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 that is too bad. I was going down to the church a little later. Can't we make arrangements for later, say, about a quarter after eight? And a short while afterwards, Hall will depart from his house to assist Eleanor Mills with her medical debt. After eight o'clock, witnesses spot Mr. Hall walking along Easton Avenue. Several minutes later, Eleanor Mills takes the same path. And it's near midnight when residents of DeRussey's Lane hear gunshots and screaming. Another piece of evidence discovered at the crime scene, a collection of love letters thrown in the grass near the corpses, now corroborate that romantic rumor. Sweetheart, my true love, Eleanor Mills had written in one. I know there are girls with more shapely bodies, but I'm not caring what they have. I have the greatest part of all blessings, a nobleman's deep, true, eternal love. How impatient I am and will be, I want to look up into your dear face for hours as you touch my body close. And before the bodies had been removed, reporters arrived on the scene and trampled through the area, contaminating the crime scene and potentially eliminating any leads. Reporters, police, and inquisitive onlookers flocked to the card at Hall's feet, permanently obscuring any fingerprint evidence. Bob Sen for the New York Daily News reported that before Jane Gibson, a hog farmer who resided not far from the crime scene, came forward, police had very little information. She was referred to in the press as Pig Woman, and she would end up being the prosecution's key witness. Gibson claimed that on the night of September 14th, she heard a disturbance and saw someone in her cornfield. She mounted her horse and rode after the person, believing it to be a thief, but instead she came across a parked automobile. A sour fight between two men and two ladies, one of whom had white hair similar to Mrs. Hall's, was overheard. Explain these letters, shouted a woman. Then bullets were fired, there were screams, and a woman said, Henry. Gibson rode home in fear. But despite Gibson's recollection of events, the investigation stretched on for weeks. Despite one detective's confident claim that the crime would be solved in only a matter of days. This case is a cinch, he told reporters. The identity of the murderer was still unknown two months after the murders. But the pastor's wronged wife and her two brothers, one of whom was rumored to be a crack shot, were the most likely suspects. In November, a grand jury was convened, but it failed to indict anyone after five days of hearings. Mrs. Hall immediately sailed for Europe. The situation could have gone away if it weren't for an irate groom and an ambitious newspaper editor. But after getting married to Louise Geist, a maid at the Hall's house, Arthur Reel requested an annulment from her four years later. According to Riel, Geist informed him that she had learned that Reverend Hall was preparing to escape with his, quote, wonder heart, and that Mrs. Hall, together with her brothers, William and Henry, and cousin Henry, went out to find her philandering husband. According to Riel's complaint, Geist claimed she was paid $5,000 to be quiet. On top of that, there was a new newspaper in town, Hearst's New Daily Mirror which was founded in 1924 to rival the news. And it was this newspaper 
that ended up with Riel's petition for annulment. And it would be four years after the murders when the Daily Mirror, a fledgling New York City newspaper, would help bring the Hall Mills case back to life. The New York Daily News, which had been established in 1919 by Joseph Medal Patterson, was the nation's leading tabloid. But William Randall Hearst's reaction to it was that it was the unabashedly down-market mirror, which was 90% entertainment, 10% information. This Hall's Mills murder story presented an opportunity for her circulation-obsessed, politically-connected tabloid general, Philip Allen Payne, who would put one of his very best reporters on a covert investigation that would result in enough shaky evidence to eventually convince the governor of New Jersey to reopen the case. The mirror would splash the startling title, Hall Mills Murder, Mystery Baird, across the main page of its July 16, 1926 edition. The tabloid trumpeted one furious charge after another over the course of the following weeks. Headlines read, Hall's bribery revealed. Mrs. Hall's spies held town in terror. How hidden hand balked Hall murder justice. After the mirror expose quickly sold from newsstands in July 1926, Frances Hall, Edward Hall's widow, was once again charged with a crime. She wasn't as fortunate this time. A second grand jury concluded that she, her two brothers, and a relative who worked as a stockbroker should appear in court to face charges. The morning of Wednesday, November 3, 1926, in Somerville, New Jersey, saw the start of the trial of the century, as the tabloids predictably billed it. During the dramatic 23-day trial, which was attended by hundreds of reporters, more than 12 million words would be filed. To put it into current terms, the O.J. Simpson case was to the modern era what the Hall Mills trial was to the Jazz Age. According to Pompeo for The New Yorker, a tall, bespectacled reporter from Virginia named Morris Markey, who was 27 years old and ambitious, was one of the journalists who traveled to the trial. Markey had gained experience at the Atlanta Journal after the First World War before moving to New York, where he took positions at the Daily News and the New York World to break into the competitive newspaper industry. Now, as the trial in central New Jersey gained widespread attention, Markey sent articles to a brand new weekly magazine called The New Yorker, which had only been around for about a year. The first of Markey's reports, titled A Mystery Revived, appeared in the issue on August 7, 1926, prior to the trial. It described Mirror Editor Payne's tangled investigation, which included a convoluted marriage annulment, a fictitious secondhand confession, alleged hush money totaling thousands of dollars, a dubious private detective, and accusations of witness tampering. The skepticism in Markey's depiction of Payne's tabloid crusade was palpable. Quote, I came away from New Brunswick quite sure that the result of the present excitement, for all its midnight arrests and promise of coming sensations and new clues that wash ashore with every hour or two, will be precisely nothing. Whatever is true, I believe that the authorities are quite as far at this moment from the conviction of the criminal as they were four years ago. 
I do not believe that the mirror's evidence is of any actual value, except, of course, as it serves the purposes of sensational journalism. And the trial itself featured more than its fair share of sensational scenes. Reverend Hull's steamy love letters were read aloud during the trial, and Mrs. Hull, who became known as the Iron Widow for her stern demeanor, was interrogated. But perhaps the most sensational testimony came from farm wife Jane Gibson, who again was known as the pig woman because she raised Poland China hogs. Mrs. Gibson, who was dying of cancer, was carried into the courtroom on a stretcher and placed in an iron hospital bed facing the jury box, while being accompanied by a doctor and two nurses. Her elderly mother sat in the front row of the gallery, wringing her hands and shouting, She's a liar. She's a liar. She's a liar throughout Jane's testimony, a compelling but now highly doubtful account of the brutal double murder. The dramatic trial would captivate the nation for three whole weeks. Americans would read about the case in their morning newspapers, and only truly noteworthy news could remove the trial from the front pages during the height of the Hall Mills panic or divert attention away from the exciting proceedings. But the jury would clear Mrs. Hall and her brothers, After only five hours of deliberation, the cousin, who was scheduled to go on trial separately, had his charges withdrawn. The trial had ended, but the mystery still remained, making it a popular subject for future amateur detectives. Writers have proposed a variety of theories on the perpetrator in the years since the Hall Mills case was officially closed, ranging from Eleanor Mills' envious husband to the Ku Klux Klan. Others think Mrs. Hall and her brothers simply got away with murder and that the prosecutors were correct. The only thing that is for sure is that the Hall Mills case is still one of the most infamous unsolved homicides in the United States. According to Bob Sun for the New York Daily News, in his 1964 book, The Minister and the Choir Singer, renowned activist attorney William Kunstler offered a theory more than 40 years after the murder. The adulterous couple, according to him, had transgressed the KKK's moral code. The terrorists and hoods, he claimed, left their mark on the victim's placement, the girl's throat mutilation, and the scattered love messages. Despite the KKK theory, to this day the case does remain unsolved. But following the trial, Mrs. Hall would file a defamation lawsuit against the New York Daily Mirror, which was settled out of court for an undisclosed but sizable sum. There has been a lot of analysis of the Hall Mills murders in both fiction and nonfiction. The Bellamy Trial by Francis Noyes Hart, a groundbreaking book that contributed to the development of the courtroom mystery genre and was then adapted into a 1929 motion picture, and The Crime by Stephen Longstreet both drew inspiration from the trial. The Goose Woman, a silent movie from 1925, starring Louise Dresser and Jack Pickford, made use of Jane Gibson's testimony before the trial, and it was later recreated as The Past of Mary Holmes in 1933. Lover's Lane, The Hall Mills Mystery, a graphic novel by Rick Gary based on the case, was published in 2012. And parts of the conclusion of F. Scott Fitzgerald's 1925 novel, The Great Gatsby, 
According to Sarah Churchwell's 2013 book, Careless People, Murder, Mayhem, and the Invention of the Great Gatsby, may have even been inspired by the Hall Mills case. She claims that the people that were killed off in the Great Gatsby were inspired by the two victims in the Hall Mills murder, based on her forensic analysis of the evidence. And the Hall Mills murder is examined in the nonfiction book, Blood and Ink, the scandalous jazz age double murder that hooked America on true crime by Joe Pompeo, from the perspective of the media coverage and its overall impact on how crime is treated in modern newspapers and magazines. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Historical True Crime, the unsolved Hall Mills murder, and a brief history of the newspaper industry in the jazz age. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you did, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a suggestion of something you'd like us to cover in an upcoming episode, you can reach us on Instagram at Historical True Crime Pod or by email at Historical True Crime Pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.